Hey, everybody, and welcome to the Recovery Executive Podcast. Today, we are talking about outcomes and how you can use outcomes to both improve the results you get for your patients, as well as from a perspective of outreach and creating a reputation and name in the community. So today I'm here with Joanna Conti, and she is the founder and CEO of Vista Research Group. Joanna, how are you doing? I'm doing great, thanks. Yeah, well, super excited to have you on here. So obviously, you know, you are very focused on outcomes and you've got a very personal reason for that. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got connected to the field of addiction treatment and outcomes research? Sure. Well. I had a daughter who became a hardcore alcoholic and she was regularly drinking to lethal levels and was in and out of treatment for five or six years. And during that horrendous time, we were regularly put in the position where it's a crisis situation. She's in the ER with, you know, a a very, very high blood alcohol level. And Mm. it was obvious we needed to find her treatment. And we had a very short time frame to do it. And so I was regularly forced to make a decision, which was like a life and death decision for our family about where to send my daughter. And I would be forced to make that decision on the basis of a phone call with somebody who sounded nice and said, trust me, we're better than the rest. Right, and they all say that, right? (laughs) Oh, of course. I mean, I've had somebody tell me they had 98% success rates. And I'm thinking, in what alternate universe are you living, you know? (laughs) Sure, right, what does that mean? (laughs) Yeah. Right, exactly. So fortunately, my daughter is doing fabulously today. She's about to celebrate five years of sobriety. And we're very, very, we're, we're very blessed. She's completely turned her life around. But when I looked back on that time, I thought, why is there no data? Mm. Why is there nothing that tells uh, the family that comes after ours that if they invest $30,000 or $60,000 or $25,000 in treatment, that their child has a fighting chance to be sober a year down the road? Absolutely. So. You know, it's just it didn't make any sense to me that it was just a matter of luck finding a good treatment center. So I decided to try and help the families come after us find good treatment program. And I created a website called Conquer Addiction, which is conquer-addiction.org. And what was different about Conquer Addiction was you could search for treatment centers based on, you know, all the the typical stuff, you know, where is it located, who does it serve, you know, what insurance does it take, that Mm. sort of thing. But what was different was that the treatment centers that did track their outcomes and would report the results to us would show up at the top of the search. Okay. So the you know the problem was, as you might imagine, this was a couple of years ago, I could find only five treatment centers in the entire country who were doing what looked to me like a, a valid job of measuring their outcomes wow. and would give us the results. Wow. And so I decided, well, it, you know, it's ridiculous to promote a site that can only recommend five treatment programs. Right. So <laughs> w- what I did was I, I went to um, one of the addiction treatment conferences and I started talking to addiction treatment center owners. And I, start, and I was saying, you know, why are 
you tracking and reporting your outcomes. And what I heard over and over again was, we want to do it. It's a next year's strategic plan. We understand how important it is. We don't have a clue how to do it. Hmm. Well, I'm a serial entrepreneur. I've started a number of different businesses over the years, one of which was a software company where okay. I taught myself how to program, and then I spent five years selling programs that I and other people had created. Oh, wow. And I thought, this isn't, this isn't you know, rocket science. We can figure out how to create a reasonably priced outcome tracking tool and provide this research information that will be life-changing Sure. Uh, to the families dealing with addiction that, that come after us. So I started Vista Research Group two and a half years ago with a focus on outcomes research. And then shortly after I had started it, I was digging into all the academic research about um, addiction treatment, and I discovered all of this research that showed that if you monitored the patients while they were in treatment and reported that results to their clinicians, that they would get better faster. And I thought, well, this is an obvious add-on, and uh, we'll start offering that type of research too. So we've been providing insight addiction progress monitoring research uh, since uh, March of 2016 to treatment center clients. That is awesome. That's absolutely awesome. I mean, I love it and it makes total sense, right? I mean, obviously, if you're tracking outcomes, you have some accountability for yourself, right? So you're maybe a little bit more invested. But I think the main focus, you know, and you can speak to this better than I can, is that you see what's working and what's not, right? And so you can make strategic decisions clinically based on the data you're getting back. Absolutely. And I have to say that the whole behavioral health care field is just decades behind the rest of healthcare in its use of data. Mm. And this is just such an obvious thing. And the data is overwhelming that if you show clinicians how their patients are feeling directly from you know the patients themselves, that it's very eye-opening sometimes. And lots of issues come up that for whatever reason, had not come up in treatment up sure. to that point. Well, I, I love it. I mean, it's the direction the field has to go in, right? You know, obviously, as a marketing company, that's where we want to be pushing things as well because we want to get people connected to the right treatment. And so that's very important for us and for the centers that we work with to have, you know, their potential patients and families understand. Um, you know, because we see so much, you know, and especially again in the marketing space where there's a lot of sometimes innovative programs and obviously all centers and all clinical directors and owners and directors, right? They want to do the best thing. They think they're doing a great job, but you don't know if you don't have the outcomes. And when you introduce exactly. different programs, like, I mean, we got a lot of, you know, equine therapy happening these days, art therapy, yoga therapy, you know, all these are, are new and they're interesting. But at the end of the day, like for me, if I'm sending my child to a center, if I had to go in, I want to know, well, does it work? Right. I mean, that's the most important question. Right. <laughs> Exactly. So. That's the only question really that matters. I right. mean, after, you know, is it something your child will agree to go to, but is it, is it a good program? And up to this point, there hasn't been that kind of data that would allow you to make that decision. Yeah, I love it. So it's great that you guys have this, you know, and then on top of that, right, the Joint Commission just kind of released information saying, hey, you guys are going to need to have outcomes data coming up, right? So can you talk about that a little bit and maybe how what you do fits in? 
Sure. And we've got to address, first of all, the fact that there's two different definitions of outcomes here. Okay. <laughs> what, the joint, what the Joint Commission is talking about when they say they want to see outcome measures is they're talking about they want their uh, treatment programs to be monitoring the patients while they're in treatment and using that data to inform clinical care decisions. So that's one definition of outcomes. That's how um, that that's what I call like progress monitoring or outcomes during treatment. Okay. And then you've got the follow up with patients after they leave treatment to see are they sober, you know, a year later, or have right. they uh, relapsed and started using again. So. What, the reason the Joint Commission started requiring outcome measures was there's a lot of research showing that if you get the data directly from the patients about how they're feeling and give it back to the clinicians in a very easy to understand fashion, that the patients get better faster. And the reason for this is that uh, clinicians tend to overestimate how well their patients are doing. Hmm. And they will think that, you know, if a patient comes in and maybe they make modest improvement, but then they plateau, they will believe that the patient is continuing to improve. Okay. But if they're confronted with, you know, a, a data that shows, no, the patient has been uh, moderately depressed for the last four weeks or has, you know, s uh, severe levels of anxiety or whatever, then they'll say, oh, my goodness, what we're doing isn't working. We need to try something else. So. The, the process of progress monitoring really makes a difference with the hardest to treat patients. You know, those patients who come into treatment and, you know, are model patients and, and um, you know, kind of sail through and, and continue to improve, it may not make a big difference for them. But mm. those patients that are really struggling, it will identify them and help the um, clinician figure out what they might want to, to try doing differently. No, you know, that's interesting that you say that. I'm wondering, so obviously the clinicians are getting the data back, and I'm assuming that this data is maybe also shared with the patients. Um, you know, in the work that you're doing, do you see that? And do you see that having a positive effect at all when the patient sees progress or, or maybe doesn't see progress? You know, that's a good question because we don't share it with the patients. It's up to the clinicians to decide whether they do. And okay. um, I, I don't know the answer to that, um, if they have been sharing it. And I'm sure some some people are. Um, you know, what the Joint Commission requires, going back to that for a minute, sure. is they have three different components of what they're requiring. Okay. The first is that treatment programs systematically collect the data using academically validated instruments and it has to come directly from the patient. They okay. don't want you know, to see that the clinician reports XYZ. They want the patient to tell directly how they're feeling. The second component is um, that the treatment center is going to need to show the Joint Commission that they're using the data to inform clinical care. Mm. And the third thing is they want the treatment program to periodically aggregate the data so they can analyze, is their program getting better over time? How does it compare with other benchmarks and so forth? So as we've been developing insight addiction and insight behavioral, we've added different components to help our treatment centers easily comply with all of the Joint Commission requirements. Okay. And I mean, obviously on my end, when I think about it, a service like you guys offer as a third party is really valuable because it adds that additional layer of objectivity. 
from the Joint Commission yes. end, do they care if a center does this data collection internally or if they have a third party doing it? No, the, okay. the Joint Commission just sets the standard and they don't endorse particular tools or instruments. Um, they do have all three of our products on their list of, um, of, of good instruments that you can use for this, but they just set the requirement and say to each treatment center, figure out how to do it yourself, you know, how, how to do this most effectively. And okay. for some of the smaller treatment programs, they may well be able to do this themselves, you know, with a paper and pencil. And, but once they get beyond a couple of patients, it just becomes very, very difficult right. to keep up with all of the, the work involved in yeah, getting the right. data to the clinician in, in, you know, reasonably quickly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have clients that have trouble tracking their calls coming in, much less patient data. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can exactly. imagine the tools are helpful. <laughs> um, so one thing you mentioned, you mentioned depression, anxiety, and all that. And obviously, we're working a lot with co-occurring disorders and dual diagnosis these days. So is what you're doing also tracking those outcomes, not just for addiction, but for these co-occurring disorders? Yes. Okay. Um, what we do is we everything we do, first of all, is online. We have the patients uh, give online surveys. Um, and anyone coming into addiction treatment, we will screen them for depression, anxiety, trauma, eating disorders, suicidal thoughts, and self-harming behaviors. Okay. And anything that they uh, answer any of our screening questions positively for, then we'll take them to a full academically validated scale. Okay. And we use all the, the same scales that um, clinicians are undoubtedly already familiar with. We use the PHQ-9 for depression and the GAD-7 for anxiety, that sort of thing. And then all of the data is reported back to the clinicians instantly in very easy to understand color-coded graphs so that they can see how their patients are doing. And then once they're in treatment, we also will monitor the strength and frequency of their cravings, how satisfied they are with treatment, uh, how many days a week are they attending if they're in outpatient treatment, and also do they, do they uh, say, you know, do they claim that they're not using drugs and alcohol um, since the last survey. So sure. all of that type of thing is reported back for each of the patients. Okay. And so obviously a lot of centers do an intake assessment already. Um, so are you replacing that intake assessment? Is this done in addition to it? How does that kind of work out? It's typically done in addition to it. Okay. ASAM has certain requirements that clinicians have to do upon entry. And so... Um, Typically, a lot of centers will give a PHQ-9 assessment to their patients. What, what we find is that if they're using Insight Addiction or Insight Behavioral, this will reduce the amount of things that the clinician themselves needs to do at intake okay. because they know they're getting this information directly from the patient. But there will still be other things, part of the, the biopsychosocial um, intake that you know, we can't possibly do. Okay. And then in terms of the outcomes that are being reported, obviously you're getting a lot of self-reporting from the patient. Is there any factoring in of, of the counselors or the clinicians adding to that data of maybe what they're seeing versus what the patient self-reports? 
Well, what's interesting is that there is an option which a few of our centers are using to add the clinician's comments directly on each patient's record so that they can say, as a result of this um, recent alert, we received that this patient is uh, as suicidal. You know, we did X, Y, and Z, and then we um, you know, we change the treatment plan this way. So it's actually a very effective way for uh, clinicians to record everything right there and what they did as a result. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, before we move past the, the Joint Commission kind of question, there's also another organization out there, CARF, right? Um, and they are also expected to require outcomes measurements. Is that correct? Yes. They're not currently doing that now, although okay. they do have a performance management requirement, which um, uh, that our type of research would help tremendously in CARF accredited organizations complying with that. Um, however, I was at a conference a month ago where Michael Johnson, who's the managing director for behavioral health accreditation for CARF, mentioned that he expects that CARF will come out with a similar uh, progress monitoring requirement soon, perhaps by the end of the year. And it's because the research behind how effective progress monitoring is, is just so incredibly strong. Sure. Yeah. So obviously, you know, you've talked to centers and I talked to centers that everyone wants to do this outcome monitoring. They know it's the best thing for patients, but there is um, maybe procrastination on it. Right. So, you know, what would you say to centers that maybe haven't gotten on board with it or, or what should they be doing to get this kick started? Uh, if they're Joint Commission accredited, they really need to get on board now. Uh, one of the things I've heard Scott Williams from JCO announce recently is that it is the third most common uh, fault that they are finding in their surveys hmm. that centers are not doing um, outcome measures. Okay. And 35% of their surveys are ending with um, the, the treatment center being dinged for not doing that and given a very short time frame to get, um, get on board. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, that's certainly, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the sword hanging over a treatment center's head. But the other thing is, this is so useful in terms of helping patients and identifying what you're doing well and maybe some areas for improvement yeah. for your treatment program. Because in addition to providing the software, we also provide several other um, reports that are very useful for our treatment center clients. One of them is we do quarterly audits where we will look at, are your patients being enrolled in Insight? How many um, regular updates are they filling out? And um, you know how frequently are your clinicians logging in to see the results? But the most important thing we do is a comprehensive annual report. And this is about a 20-page paper full of useful charts and data that help the treatment program see how they're doing and compare to benchmarks of similar treatment programs. So, you know, one of the things that we'll include in there is treatment completion rates and how they compare to national norms. Yeah. You know, this is the type of data that, you know, there's a large fluctuation, variation between different treatment centers. And we know that if a treatment center has a higher rate of people leaving AMA, 
that their outcomes are probably not going to be that good because right. an awful lot of people who leave AMA are going to be using within 24 to 72 hours. Hmm. So, you know, just having that information and for the first time have something to benchmark that against can really help the treatment programs figure out how to how, how they can improve their treatment further. That's fantastic. I mean, as a marketing guy, I'm kind of a data nut, right? And I'm all about benchmarking and you know, <laughs> comparing, <too>. right? So <laughs> that, that's, uh, I love to hear that. <laughs> um, can you tell us some, what are some of the benchmarks you're seeing, you know, currently with the data that you guys have already? Well, I think one of the things that's most useful is the treatment completion rates. Um, also, what percentage of patients are coming in uh, exhibiting different levels of co-occurring disorders and then how are they improving over the time that they're in treatment mm -hmm. uh, one of one of the things that's um, really been interesting is uh, some of the things we've heard from our clinical users and discoveries that they've made so one of them is that because we screen patients for a variety of different disorders um, treatment centers will often find that uh, patients are struggling with different disorders they weren't aware of. Hmm. One of our early clients, for example, uh, discovered in their first, uh, well, long before their first report, actually, that a lot of their patients had fairly severe eating disorders. And this is typical in addiction treatment. I yeah. think uh, probably the research I've seen is something like about 35% of patients in addiction treatment will also be struggling with some sort of eating disorder behavior. Yeah, that doesn't surprise and, me. And um, in this case, they simply weren't aware of it, that this was going on. It was just very hush-hush. And once our research made it very clear that that there was a real problem, the center decided to bring in an eating disorder specialist that could separately bill Medicare, Medicare or Medicaid, I, I forget which. Mm. And suddenly the whole problem about eating disorders came out of the closet. And the specialist was meeting with patients in group once a week and also privately. And suddenly the whole Every, all the patients started talking about their issues with eating disorders and people would come up to the uh, clinical director and say, hey, you know, can I meet with so-and-so too? Because I have this problem too. And what had been something that was totally unaddressed and totally hush-hush became something that the patients were really working on and improving hmm. uh, the level of their disorders. And so that was really exciting to see because that came about directly as a result of the research. This is really exciting. It's kind of fascinating as well. It's interesting that people didn't bring it up. You know, I remember when I went through my own addiction issues and treatment issues, like there was this clear divide, right? And we're getting better with it now, but there was a divide between addiction and like anything else going on in your life. And you couldn't bring up anything else. You could only bring up addiction. And obviously we've moved past that, <laughs> thankfully. You know, I, I remember sitting in yeah. group and we had this uh, woman that was having, you know, domestic violence issues at home with her husband and the counselor stopped the group and she goes, we don't talk about that here. You need to talk about that with your therapist. Here we talk about addiction, you know, and, and that's how the field oh, used no. to be. Yeah, it was it wasn't great, and so we've made a lot of progress since then. Um, but it's interesting to hear that, right? Absolutely. That there's still this maybe feeling of, of some things shouldn't be brought up within um, within group or with therapy for for whatever reason. So that's excellent that your data is showing all that kind of stuff. Can you also um, talk a little bit more about 
maybe some other examples of what centers are doing that is or using this data that they're seeing as successful or what are maybe some commonalities that you see a lot of centers um, doing after they, they start seeing the data? Every time we have given a report, you know, the annual report to a client, they have just come back to us and said, wow, this is so useful, we had no idea. And we've brought on, as you can imagine, a lot of new clients recently as a result of the Joint Commission requirement. And sure. what we've been hearing from our clients is they don't really want to wait a full year to get this data, hmm. that if, you know, if, if there's something they need to be working on, they'd like to know earlier rather than later. So we are really excited that uh, we have recently announced our first outcome summit, which is going to be uh, June 21st and 22nd okay. in Annapolis. And this is by invitation only for our clients. And everyone who comes will get a copy of their preliminary data to date, along with benchmarking information for you know all the different centers there, plus other centers that we are uh, already been doing the research for. Mm -hmm. And then we're going to be able to spend the majority of the two days in open discussions. We, you know, we're not the experts in how you fix any of this We, but we can provide the data and say, you know, it looks like you're doing particularly well in this area and maybe there's an opportunity to improve in that area. And we can point out that this treatment center is doing a particularly good job of reducing AMAs. So let's find out what are they doing differently and they can ask each other questions and um, do brainstorming together. And I, I believe this is going to be just incredibly useful for all of our, um, our centers that are coming. And our, our goal is for each center to leave with an action plan of one or two items that they want to try and change and how they're going to measure the results. So once, once people have data, I think that there's so much that can be done with that and and so so many different directions that can lead I'll, I'll tell you one other story that um that helped me realize that we were really on the right track and this was um a discussion that i had with a clinical director right before christmas um, a year and a half ago or so and he called me up and was so excited he talked for an hour about how he was able to use this data to discover some things. For example, one of the things he learned was that one of their therapists, who I believe was the junior therapist, was able to get their patients um, in, uh, stabilized in terms of the severity of their depression, anxiety, and trauma symptoms much faster than he was or hmm. than the other counselor was. Oh, that's interesting. And he said, well, yeah, this is interesting, you know, <laughs> what are you doing differently? Right. And it turns out she would start each discussion with a couple of simple questions, but it framed her discussion with the patient in such a way that they, I guess, were really addressing uh, some of these important issues. And so the clinical director and the other counselor started using that same process to start their discussions. But what was so exciting to the clinical director was for the first time he could actually see what was working and what was not and could could it, you know change what they were doing accordingly. And I mean he was just super excited. So that was that was a really wonderful feedback to receive. That is great. I mean I think this is 
a fantastic discussion and what you guys are doing is amazing for the field as a whole. Um, you know, talking about these outcomes and things like that, obviously, you know, this is great to be able to understand what's working and why, and you know, in what context and all that kind of stuff. So as you guys build this information, are there places people can go to learn about some of the things that you guys are learning or do they have to be a client to get access to that data? Well, one of our missions is to use the data that we're accumulating from, you know, hopefully, eventually tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands, millions of, of patients in addiction treatment mm. to use this standardized data to inform uh, the entire addiction treatment field about, uh, you know, what's what's important and what is not. What, um, one of my personal goals is to develop hard data where we can go back to the payers and say, look, you kick out a patient after 12 days or after 15 days, save your money. If you can keep them in there for 22.8 days or you know whatever the data shows, the chance of that patient being successful in overcoming their addiction is so much higher that it's money well spent. You know, that is the sort of data that once we have, you know, once we're collecting this from a large group of different patients, we will be able to use to really inform the whole field of addiction treatment. That's and that is very important to what we're doing. Yeah, that's going to be incredibly powerful. You know, and, and on that topic, too, when we're looking at the many advantages of tracking outcomes, but if you can take your data and say, hey, look, we're, you know, have a 10% higher success rate than the majority of centers, you can take that to insurers and payers, right? And you can get probably higher reimbursement rates. And I bet you if you're not showing good outcomes, you're going to get lower ones, you know, so it's going to be a huge shift in reimbursement as well. Right. And, and here's where we have to talk about the difference between during treatment outcomes and post treatment outcomes, because they're both important. Uh, what I think payers are going to pay the most attention to is the post treatment outcomes. And we have a separate program called Recovery 2020, where we will follow up with the patients one month, six months and 12 months after they leave treatment. And what we're looking for here is, you know, have they uh, been able to remain in active recovery? Or if they relapsed, uh, did they have the skill set and the motivation or uh, what the support systems to um, get back into sobriety? Um, and so this is the data that I think the payers are going to pay the most attention to. And uh, we have been really successful in what we're doing with our current clients. We typically are able to reach over 60% of the patients okay. at each of these points. And, uh, you know, we will work incredibly hard to do that. We'll make 10 to 15 attempts to contact them each time. We'll pay the patients a little bit to take the surveys. Um, you know, we establish relationships while they're in treatment uh, because uh, one of the things I didn't talk about, which I should probably backtrack and explain, sure. people need to understand how patients are doing, are using, are, are filling out these surveys. So, as I said, everything is done online. Uh, so if um, a patient is in residential treatment and doesn't have access to a smartphone, 
what there will be somebody at a center which we call like the data collection manager who will be responsible for going around with an ipad or a laptop and um you know logging into the software pulling up the link for the patient survey and then handing the ipad to the patient so that they can take the survey okay and the intake survey will typically take about 20 minutes for a patient to fill out. But after that, the ongoing surveys only take two to three minutes because okay. we only ask about the issues we know that patient is struggling with. So it's not an unduly burdensome um, problem for the patients. And once the patients have access to a smartphone or the internet, we will actually email or text them directly um, so that they'll get a link once a week saying, okay, please take this survey for your counselor now, and the data will come in uh, instantly into the clinician's um, uh, uh, page with no effort on the treatment center's part. So we're doing everything we can to make it really easy. And, and because we've established that relationship with a lot of our clients during treatment, when they hear from us again, one month, six months, and 12 months later, they know who we are, you know, and they know that, you know, they've had communications with us and we've responded. We're real people on the other end. So I'm sure that helps with, um, you know, the, our response rates also. Yeah, yeah. Relationships are everything at the end of the day, you know. So you guys have an amazing yeah. um, program here, amazing system. You know, I love what you do. And also, like, it's really um, cost effective. Like, it's not, you know, you're not charging people a ton of money for this. So, I mean, if you want to talk about your price structure, <laughs> I would highly recommend it because it is so affordable. Well, thank you. You know, our mission really is to use this kind of data to revolutionize the whole treatment field. And so it's important to us to keep our costs low so that treatment centers of all sizes can can afford to use our research. So let's say you have a mid-size addiction treatment center. Maybe you have 50 patients or 50 beds. Uh, the cost would be $750 a month for mm -hmm. Insight. And for that, you get you know all of the real-time surveying and reporting of the data. You get the quarterly audits. You get the um, annual reports, uh, that sort of thing. So, so I think it's it's we have tried really hard to keep our our prices very affordable. Uh, as the centers go up in size, the price per patient goes down pretty dramatically. And then for the smallest treatment programs out there um, who may see less than 20 patients at a time, the entire cost is $2.99 a month. So that's the cost for insight. That's the during treatment part. Mm -hmm. The post-treatment part, as you can imagine, is more expensive because we have to you know, pay researchers to follow up with the patients directly, and we have to pay the patients a little bit to take the surveys. Sure. So our cost for each patient that we follow up with is $100 for that first year. Mm -hmm. And then um, if we're able to reach uh, at least 60% of the patients were scheduled to during any given month, uh, we'll charge a little bonus on top of that to incentivize our, our researchers. So mm -hmm. as much as 45 of that $100 can go out to pay the patient for taking the survey. Right. So <laughs> right. again, we're really, we're really trying to keep our costs down. And for larger treatment centers, we can cap the cost at 25000 a year by randomly selecting 250 treatment programs. So oh, okay. uh, again, we're, we're trying to do everything we can to make this affordable.
Well, that is fantastic, you know, and obviously if any of our clients for Circle Social are listening or potential clients, I highly recommend that you get in touch with Joanna because on our end, for the marketing end, not just for your patient's sake, but to reach new people, that data is invaluable, right? The the work that I think centers can do internally as well as outreaching the communities, when you show your data, when you show your positive outcomes and when you make improvements, it's just hugely beneficial in terms of the impacts that you can have. So I, I highly recommend you contact Joanna and if they want to do that, um, where would they go? How do they get in touch with you? I would suggest they contact, either call us at 833 and the number four outcomes. So it's an 800 line number, it's 833 number four, and then just spell out outcomes on your phone. Okay. Or they can download a sample of the type to see uh, one page summaries of the type of data that we collect. If they go to vista-outcomes.com. And so this they can just download and just see examples of the type of data that they could be having for their treatment program very quickly if they're interested in doing this. Great. And, you know, when I actually looked you guys up online, there's also like a Vista research group for dental. So maybe you want to clarify, there's, there's like a different one out there. Be careful what they're typing in. <laughs> well, I think if you uh, did a search for Vista research group addiction, addiction. I'm sure yeah. we would show up on top of that. Okay. But our, our regular website is vista-research-group.com. Okay. So they can find us there. Yeah, I just wanted to point that out because you know, when I was first searching, I was like, well, are they the same? Are they different? I'm like, oh, they're different. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know. No, we're not working with uh, dentistry. <laughs> sure. <laughs> well, Joanna, I, I really appreciate it um, taking the time to come on the show and, and uh, you know share all the amazing work that you're doing. Is there anything that you want to close with or anything you'd like to mention that we weren't able to cover? Sure. I think I, it might be interesting to your listeners to talk just a little bit about where the, the um, reimbursement field is going with addiction treatment, because yeah. we've all been hearing for years that, you know, pay for performance and value-based reimbursements are coming. Mm -hmm. But I don't think people realize how quickly they're coming. And uh, it's pretty clear that within two years or so, a lot of insurers are going to be requiring outcomes data. And they will be, they're already using that in some cases to make decisions on whether they want to bring a treatment center in network. Um, they will be using that to negotiate different reimbursement rate structures and pay for performance bonuses. We've actually got a group of billing experts who are working with us to figure out for their clients, how can they use the type of data that we're doing it, getting with Recovery 2020, the post-treatment outcomes piece, to negotiate better payment rates for their clients. Okay. And... Uh, you know, because it will take two full years to get a year's worth of data for most uh, treatment programs, you know, if you see that this is going to be necessary two years from now, you really needed to start doing the outcomes <laughs> research yesterday. Right, so, right. Um, you know, what we're hearing from the billers um, is they believe that the treatment centers that don't track their outcomes 
aren't going to be around in a couple of years, mm -hmm. that this is just going to be absolutely a requirement. And, uh, you know, they're encouraging their clients to get, uh, to start using some sort of research services like ours uh, very, very quickly so that they have the data they need to negotiate for, for better payment structures and in-network status. So um, I would just really encourage people to figure out how they're going to meet this need of the payers because it's happening faster than most people think. Yeah, that, no, it's incredibly important to understand. You know, if you're not getting paid, you're not going to be around too long, right? <laughs> Right. Exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, again, Joanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Everyone out there, you know, this is the Recovery Executive Podcast. I'm Nick Jaworski with Circle Social. And so if you are looking to get a hold of us, you can go to circlesocialinc.com. As always, their podcast is available on iTunes. It's on Stitcher. It's on SoundCloud. You can find us anywhere where podcasts are available. So I appreciate the time. And Joanna, thank you so much. Have a great day. My pleasure. Thanks so much, Nick. You too. Yeah, bye-bye.